Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of Beautiful Minds. My name is Martin and our guest today joining us remotely all the way from Toronto in Canada, Usama Mujtaba. Usama, you're a strength and conditioning coach specialising in athletic performance. I know you've worked with tons of athletes in American football, basketball and most recently up and coming football stars. But before we go into your background, what you do and all your amazing pieces of advice for people training during lockdown, welcome to Beautiful Minds. How are you? No, appreciate it, man. Thank yeah. you for having me on. Uh, the weather in Toronto is pretty nice, but for some reason, winter has been going on for like, uh, I don't know, like seven months right now. So even <laughs> though it's sunny, still zero degrees and very chilly outside. But yeah, man, enjoying a little bit of sun for sure. Good, good. Yeah, I saw your live chat the other day with uh, Chad Owens and I really enjoyed it. I mean, my signal was a bit off in the house. I think my internet's a bit dodgy anyway but um yeah i was really enjoying the conversation i've learned a lot about you know the cfl and the whole dynamics behind athletes in that league and it was really interesting yeah for sure man um i mean chad owens is uh he's become a friend now initially he was just a um a colleague that i worked with um so basically um i'm a strength ignition coach at the athlete training center that's in toronto and it's kind of like all athletes coming in obviously it's closed now but I, um, I met I met him through that and we just figured that like uh, pretty much like this kind of bringing in bringing together a couple of people that maybe can bring value to kind of anyone that tunes in uh, that's pretty much what our goal was um, and yeah typically when Chad and I get chatting uh, it tends to last for quite a long time so yeah. uh, as as was evident with the IG live, I think we went over, our, you get like a, an hour time limit on it and then it kicks you off. Uh, so we had the re-up um, in the second hour and I think we, we still went for like 20 minutes in that second hour. So uh, yeah, man, when, when we get going, we can 100% get going. Yeah, you'll have to record that one day as well and upload and have people listen to it again and again if they need to. Uh, there's some sure, really good man, reference 100%. points there. Uh, I'm planning on having him again, having him on again. So, uh, yeah, definitely. Definitely, yeah. I want to hear that. And uh, just on that topic of athletes and, you know, people that you've now befriended, maybe once they were clients or people that you just had a professional relationship with, how has that developed over the years for you? Do you find that you're feeling more comfortable now in Canada and training athletes over there? Uh, yeah, man. Like, so... I'll give a little background as to myself and, and, and everything first. And, sure. and yeah, for sure. Um, so basically, uh, probably starting off at university, which is when I kind of discovered strength and conditioning as, as a career. I come from quite an academic uh, background in terms of my family. They're all very academic people. Um, so sport, a sporting career was something that was never really looked at in my family in terms of like it, it, it was never an option for me because I just simply didn't know about it um, about how you could have a career in sport outside of just being an athlete um, so kind of while I was at university I played American football uh, at the University of Sheffield in the UK uh, cool. and then it is man I absolutely loved it that was actually the first contact sport that I ever played in my life uh, really? So it was a little, yeah, it was a little bit of a shock to the system, but uh, I was going to ask if you transferred shock. from rugby over to American football. No, I did no. not. I moved from basketball ah, to American okay. football. Okay. So the athleticism that's required in basketball is 
relatively similar in terms of the kind of stuff that you have to do in American football. The only difference is that I think in American football, you're beating up your body a little bit more. Sure, That's sure. why the basketball, the NBA season can be 82 games, but the NFL season is way less. It's 16, I believe. Okay, wow. um, big difference. So, uh, yeah, 100%. Um, and it's just simply because of the fact that you're getting beaten up every single time you're out on a field, right? Um, but, yeah, no, I discovered strength and conditioning through that uh, because I interned at my university um, as a strength and conditioning coach. Then I got a little bit more responsibility. I started coaching other athletes. My main athletes were from power and speed sports of basketball and netball. Um, and then my wife, Rachel, she got a PhD at U of T, uh, studying sports psychology. So from there, we moved to Toronto and I just kind of started working as a strength and conditioning coach here. I actually studied chemical engineering while I was at university. Oh, uh, so it was a little bit, of a little bit of a switch in terms of a <laughs> career, but the science and research aspect of strength and conditioning is something that I can utilize way better than I think a lot of other strength and conditioning coaches simply because I come from that science background. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, that, that's kind of, that was my journey to Toronto. And then when I came to Toronto, I started as a strength and conditioning coach. I've worked as a strength and conditioning coach for multiple different kinds of athletes and throughout sure. different organizations. Uh, but I moved throughout the two years that I have been here, I've moved through a couple of different organizations and finally started working at the Athlete Training Center for Pierre's Elite Performance mm. as a strength and conditioning coach. And now mainly the athletes are soccer or obviously if you're English football. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Keep it clean. CFL players, 100%. <laughs> C CFL players, uh, so f American football or Canadian football, yeah. and then a few basketball players, some hockey players, and, and that's kind of amazing. what makes up the athletic population. So honestly, as a strength and conditioning coach here, I found it awesome. I think the differences between England and Canada is that the infrastructure for sport here from the younger levels of sport, so the youth levels of sport, is way better than the infrastructure for sport in the UK. What I mean by that is you can get paid because there's money available to be a strength and conditioning coach here for youth athletes as opposed to being one for youth athletes in the UK. That system isn't kind of set up yet. And I think part of the reason is most youth athletes play quote-unquote recreationally in the UK, whereas here they have legit organisations for soccer, for hockey and you're playing again quote-unquote serious hockey or soccer from a very young age here now whether that's a good or a bad thing uh that's a different discussion but yeah. uh yeah no there's definitely kind of different system here for sure okay and would you say the level of athleticism that you face as a strength and conditioning coach on a day-to-day -day basis is higher than you would have otherwise been exposed to had you stayed in the uk so honestly, I don't think that the level of athleticism is higher okay. here. I think that that's a product of the fact that obviously the infrastructures that I spoke about, the fact yeah. that kids get training a lot and paid training, they pay for training a lot younger here than they do in the UK. So in the UK, they're just kind of figuring it out for themselves until you're about 16. And then when you're 16, you might get a gym membership. And again, you're not figuring it out. Um, you were still figuring it out for yourself. Whereas here, from the age of like 
12, 13, you can have a strength conditioning coach. You can have different types of yeah. coaches that can help you become more of an athlete. So honestly, I don't think that people are just more athletic here. I think they just start younger here. So that's the main difference is that you mm. tend to see more athletes on a day-to-day basis here than you do in the UK. That's not to say that there aren't athletes in the UK, I of think. Course, of course, yeah, yeah. Then maybe they're not necessarily training properly or you know, they're not exposed to that kind of stimulus of training yeah. in the UK than they are here. Or we're not seeing them on social media because that's generally where we see a lot of it. Yeah, days. 100%. Yeah. And, and there's a huge hype thing here too as as well as in the states right training is a hype thing whereas in the uk again a lot of kids that do go to the gym just have like gym memberships that they then utilize themselves and it's changing a little bit because of the fact that american football is a bigger thing in the uk now because they've got the nfl academy they've got different academies for youth american football players so they're bringing that kind of american hype to the uk in terms of training so yeah, well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to grow for sure because there are some absolute stud athletes that come out of the UK. Yeah. So 100%, there's going to be a little bit of a shift in terms of the number of athletes that you see uh, on a day-to-day basis in the UK, for sure. Yeah, I think that Hollywood dream, you know, whether it's ice hockey, whether it's baseball, whether it's wrestling or American football, I think um, there's definitely that Hollywood effect that kids, they grow up and they want to they really want to launch themselves into that scene, right? Um, and I think, you know, it, it, it's a good thing. It's, it's definitely a big plus. And, and so for you as a strength and conditioning coach now, I know speed, power, these are like, you know, some of the core pillars that make up your training style. What would you say is, you know, your favorite type of training for yourself? Um, so for myself, I've always been a, far, been a fan of power training and, and okay. strength work and stuff like that. So lifting a heavy barbell, moving stuff quick, uh, that's been my wheelhouse and where I've liked to train within. I think that's very similar for a lot of strength and conditioning coaches that train athletes. The main kind of thing, the main reason that I love that is just simply because of the fact that I absolutely love just things moving fast. Or being able to see seeing someone with like a forty inch vertical is just an absolute dream for me as yeah. a five foot eight guy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. that kind of training for me is one hundred percent where I live and breathe, and I, I love uh, power training, which is why it's also my speciality when it comes to training other athletes. So that's mainly the reason that I don't really train many endurance athletes. Yeah. However, endurance athletes one hundred percent do utilize my advice in terms of the power and speed stuff that every endurance athlete should be doing not necessarily every endurance athlete is doing yeah. uh, just simply because of the fact that they see it as a totally different energy system that they're training but i like to train within that kind of zero to 30 second bursts of activity as opposed to the longer duration bursts of activity yeah what i like the most is a term i recently discovered from um a few other podcasts I was listening to, in particular Brian Rose. Right. You know, the guy's a really good uh, podcaster, and he's he's you know he's not young either. He's, he's like in his late forties, early fifties, and you know mm-hmm. he moves really well. And he talks about you know doing things differently to kind of challenge your body and to become a better mm-hmm. mover. And it's something that I'm trying to incorporate into my life. And I know a lot of people now they're starting to see the lights. You know, the old days of just lifting, pumping iron or the long distance runners, they're trying to kind of cross over now and explore each other's gardens a bit more. 
100%. so to speak. So I don't know no, if you're saying that in Canada. That. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, 100%. Um, I think you raised a really important point that everyone's coming in and seeing each other's approaches to training because it's so important. So the example would be if you're training an American football player, the average American football player lasts for about eight seconds, which means that it's an eight-second absolute burst of the most explosiveness you've ever seen in your life. Right. These guys are crazy fast, crazy quick, crazy powerful. However, after that, you get, depending on whether you're in the CFL, the um, NFL, whatever, what, whatever kind of game you're playing, they have different rest periods between plays. But you recover by obviously breathing hard between the plays. Now, breathing is aerobic recovery, which means that if you're not efficient at aerobic recovery as, an, as a power athlete, you might be stopping yourself from reaching the end of the game with you know, a high level of energy. So that's why a lot of power athletes now are looking into a little bit of aerobic training within their general training regime, just simply yeah. because of the fact that they need to get better at using that aerobic system to create energy, i.e. the breathing. Uh, so that's what you'll see a lot of uh, power athletes doing now. They'll uh, take those endurance approaches, do a little bit of endurance training within their own training uh, kind of cycle. And that'll help them recover between plays better. And that's what I do with some of my athletes too. And then vice versa. When you're running, if you're an endurance runner or if you're just a casual everyday, just I like to get out and run kind of thing. You, every single time that you take a step, so within your normal gait of your running, every single time that you take a step, you put, I think it's around 15 times your body weight through each leg in terms of ground reaction force. So what that means is every time you put a foot into the ground, the force that comes up through your leg as a reaction from the ground is 15 times your body weight. Wow. So if you're not incorporating some form of strength, plyometric power work in your training as an endurance runner, that gait will be way less efficient because you can't absorb as much force through the ground. That's why endurance runners, kind of all long distance runners, um, any, anyone that's in a long distance sport really needs to look into doing some power training. On top of that, if you can increase the maximal power that you can produce each time you take a step, what you're doing in running is every single step is what's called a submaximal power effort, i.e. it takes you a certain amount of power to get to the next step, to get to the next step, to get to the next step. If you have a higher overall power output, what you've done is you've increased that ceiling for yourself because submaximal is only a percentage of that maximal power. Well, if I've got 30% of, let's use an arbitrary figure without units of 100 max power, yeah. and I have to use 30% of that to, through each step to run, well, if I take that to 120, 30% of 120 is not 30. It's more than that. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why now every single step I produce a little more power. So now my running is more efficient. And as a result, I can not only get, get a further distance when I'm running, but also each step takes a little bit less energy from my overall reserve. Interesting. Yeah, that's, so that's yeah. why it's super important for both kind of athletes to obviously you need to stick within your realm. You need to get good at what you're supposed to be good at. But of course if 15 times your body weight is coming through your leg every single time you take a step 
and your cadence on average a good runner's cadence so that's uh, steps per minute is that i think anywhere between 160 to 170 steps per minute um that is kind of the recommended thing to help improve your gait and make sure that you're reducing the amount of injuries that you have is 160 to 170 steps per minute so that also means that 160 times to 170 times you put in 15 times your body weight through one leg well half that eight, 80 to 85 times each leg is taking 15 times your body weight so of if course, you're not yeah. good uh controlling that then you know you're gonna end up getting injured so that's a big thing in injury prevention that i think a lot of athletes miss they think that injury prevention is i need to increase my mobility or i need to be more flexible to prevent injury well that's honestly not the truth you most of the time when you have an injury yes you need to make sure that you have mobility so that i can so both, my, both sides of my body are even so that I don't have any muscular imbalances, anything like that. But most of the time, an injury happens because of a maximal force that goes through your body that your body can't handle. Well, how do you train that? You need to make sure that you're training maximal force or maximal force production and absorption and everything like that. So that's why strength training and all of that is awesome for actually for injury prevention for tissue quality everything like that but a lot of people especially the long distance kind of sports because within power sports you have to lift it's a it's a part of the sport is to train whereas if you're a runner part of the sport is not to go into the gym and lift weights the sport is to run so that's why a lot of endurance athletes end up getting injured because they're not used to lifting weight you need to have that tissue quality, that integrity of your muscle to be able to withstand and, and your whole muscle tendon unit, your bones to withstand that amount of force that's going through your leg every time. So it's a very underutilized tool by a lot of athletes uh, in terms of why we do strength training. Yeah, that's super powerful. I mean, I was talking to Carla Tafra. She's a, she's a world-renowned yoga instructor and she's in Seattle. She's, you know, come out with some good quality work and i spoke to her about the way we train athletes now and incorporating yoga into ufc into football we were talking about how she started off with ballet and you know that kind of gave her the foundation and we're comparing ryan giggs and rio ferdinand i'm sure you yeah you know them so yes of course um, (laughs) so we're saying how like ryan giggs he was kind of this you know darty winger and he was doing yoga and he was so durable he went on to like 40 and you got like a big guy, you know, Rio Ferdinand, what was he, like six foot four or something, he's massive. And mm-hmm. he started off with ballet, you know, that was his kind of secret weapon that made him so oh, nimble. Wow, I, did, for... I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. And we we're talking That's about crazy. the differences in style of play and what their secret weapon was. And, you know, ballet, yoga, I guess you can kind of put them into a similar bucket there. But mm-hmm. um, now you're coming with an extra layer and saying, hey, if you're doing something completely separate from explosiveness and uh, you know, something a bit slower paced, like endurance running, then you need to incorporate that strength. So it's an interesting how, you know, 100%. the opposites tend to attract. Well, the, the, honestly, it is. And the main thing is just, it's just about creating balance in your body. That's all that you need to do, right? Because mm. if, you're, if you're a strength athlete that only lifts barbells, then you can't create that balance from a barbell. There are certain movements that you just cannot do with a barbell which is why they invented dumbbells, kettlebells, all yeah. of these different things that you can use in the gym. And it's just about, as an athlete, making sure that every single part of your body is taken care of. 
Uh, and one thing that you find with a lot of athletes is once they get into a routine and a rhythm of certain types of training, they forget about the other types of training. Um, now, my wife, she works with youth athletes mainly, and some of the research that they're doing is in transitions between kind of going from the youth athlete level to the next level of eliteness. And one of the biggest things that they found in their research and also is quite commonly known is that some of the best athletes in the world are, were two or three sport athletes growing up. Well, wow. now what that means is Patrick Mahomes, MVP winner, was a two sport athlete. Kobe Bryant played soccer alongside basketball. LeBron James could have either gone to the NFL or the NBA because LeBron James at 15, 16 years old was the number one rated wide receiver in Ohio. Wow. And he's that. a basketball player. Uh, actually, what happened was his teammates on the basketball team uh, threatened him to uh, stop playing football and focus on basketball. Um, in his senior year. So effectively, he, had, he stopped playing uh, football in his senior year and focused on basketball. And we all know LeBron James came from st straight from high school to the NBA. So that means that in his senior year, if he was the number one rated wide receiver in Ohio at the time, he must have been an absolute king at football. And that, yeah. that in itself tells you everything you need to know about making sure that you have balance. Because if all these great, and when I talk about great, I mean the greatest of the great athletes had multiple sports, there's a method to the madness kind of thing. And the physiological reasons that you'd want to make sure that if you're an athlete, you're doing multiple different things. Now, obviously, when you specialize in your sport, i.e. when you're a pro, when you're leading up to that kind of higher level of sport, you want to start thinking about only playing the one sport. But that's why you have the gym. You have the gym to effectively make your body balanced or quote-unquote unspecialized you want to make sure that you're not just really good at the thing that you need to do you need to be well-rounded in your body so that you can withstand injury um, or reduce the risk of injury the physiological reasons that you'd want to play in multiple sports as a youth athlete is because let's say you're not getting any sort of strength and conditioning that's what strength and conditioning is for is to create balance in an athlete really um, what you do, the movements that you do in basketball are totally different to the movements and energy systems that you use in soccer, which is why Kobe Bryant generally was quite a durable athlete. Um, and the same for LeBron James. The reason being is, let's say, for example, in football, let's use the LeBron James example. In football, the way that you move is similar, but not really that similar to the way that you move in basketball. So what you're doing is you're taking care of different planes of movement and different velocities, different types of forces that you're having to withstand and stuff like that in both sports, which means that to combined, if you combine the approaches together, that's, that's, you're building a whole system. Whereas if you only play basketball for the rest of your life, it's not necessarily that you're going to get injured, but you need to look into doing something to help balance out your body. Because it's a well-known fact that a lot of basketball players have insane ankle mobility issues because of the shoes that they wear and then yeah. also all the lateral movement that they have to do. Um, 
it's also very well known that a lot of basketball players have general mobility restrictions in other places simply because generally a lot of them are very tall and you know yeah. their anthropometrics their their size of their body is is very different so as a basketball athlete growing up it's okay when you're at that elite level to have these th compensations because all you want to do is make sure that you obviously you look at the limitations that you have in your body but you work around them so that you can continue to play the game of basketball but yeah. when you're growing up you're not only in basketball shoes yeah, yeah, yeah so if basketball is the only sport that you play and you have limited ankle range of motion and then you go out on the street and you try to do something that's totally different to basketball you might get injured so that's why you need to make sure that you're combining that approach of playing basketball with maybe another sport like yeah. soccer or whatever it is um and that's actually one thing that i found in canada um i hope it doesn't creep over to the uk because if i'm being honest i don't necessarily agree with the way that this is happening but uh, one of the things that I dislike the most in Canada is that we have quote-unquote elite level sport when kids are 11. That's too young. Yes 100% that's, yeah, that's my immediate reaction because <laughs> it's, it's, it's a knee-jerk reaction to say it's too young if you're a UK person but if you're a Canadian parent it might not be a knee-jerk reaction because of the fact that there are some athletes that literally grow up when they're three or four years old, they'll tell their parent or they told their parents that they wanted to do this. And then they've managed to do that for the rest of their life. They've managed to do elite baseball or whatever. And then they become a MLB baseball player. Cool. That's not everyone though. And by and large, that's not a lot of people. Most people will tell you something totally different when they're younger than they will when they're, when they're 18, 19 years old. Yeah. So what happens, you find a lot of kids, they face a lot of restrictions because they've said, or I don't know whether they've said or been coerced, um, yeah. but they've said that, oh, I want to play elite soccer. I, I, want to be, I want to be an elite soccer player. And they're nine years old. So now parents are investing all of this money into this nine-year-old to play soccer. So what ends up happening is this soccer kid, he's playing elite soccer from nine years old, which isn't elite at all obviously yeah because you're nine <laughs> and then they're going to the point where they're like 14 15 16 they're playing it but as a result of the fact that that being the only thing that they're doing the training every single day for soccer they're doing strength and conditioning they're playing soccer games they're playing for sometimes multiple teams by the time they're 15 they just fall out of love with the sport but not that, because that's the only sport that they played. They fall out of love with sport in general. Yeah, yeah. And that's a big problem, because you'd rather have a kid that is an athlete and then at the age of 14, 15, 16 can play any sport than a kid that is an athlete built for soccer. Because what if when they're 15 they want to change sports? You haven't given them that option by specializing them in soccer. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And that's Absolutely. a tough one. That, that's one that in England, when I was growing up, man, we had guys that played for the Man City Academy. We had guys that played for the Sheffield Wednesday Academy. And they played for these academies, but it's a well-known fact in the UK that if you're, if you're 12, 13, 14, and you play for an, uh, an elite football academy, nothing is guaranteed for you until you're about 16. When you're 16, if they give you a contract then, that means they want you to play for the team. Yeah. But until you're about 
15 going on 16, your position is, is the same as any other position of the rest of the kids on that academy. You're not considered elite. So a lot of them, when they were 13, 14, they didn't even tell people that they were in these academies because it, mean, it doesn't mean anything until you're 16 and you're in with a shot of being a pro football player. And that's yeah. the thing. I think that's the difference here is that kids by parents, by coaches, by people around them get told they're elite when they're 12. So they think, they have this mentality that I am an elite insert sport here player. And that's, that's the wrong mentality to give a kid because you, one of the biggest things as a strength and conditioning coach that I love to see is a kid with humility that wants to work hard. Well, if they've yeah. been told since the age of nine years old that they're elite, they're not going to come into the gym being humble. They're going to come into the gym thinking they deserve something better yeah. than everyone else around them. And that yeah. just, again, if you don't make it in sport, what kind of human are you building then? Absolutely. Uh, you're building an entitled human. And that's what ends up happening is that people become entitled for the rest of their lives because of the fact that they wanted to play. They wanted to be an elite player. Their parents had the money to fund that quote unquote elite athleticism. And then they realized that they weren't going to make it. So the rest of their lives, they're just going to be like, well, everything is given to me. And I've seen, I've 100% seen kids like that all over Canada that that, that happens. Yeah. Um, and that's actually something that a lot of people don't know. Now the athletes that get built out of that system, unreal athletes. But it's on parents, it's on coaches to help those athletes understand that you're trying to, you're trying to build yourself a great work ethic. You're not trying to be an elite insert X, Y, and Z. Because if you have that mentality that I constantly want to build, I want to build, I want to be a better soccer player, I want to be... And that's great. That's awesome. But one of the kids that I was speaking to actually recently, um, he's, he is, is an elite soccer player and will get a D1 scholarship, 100%. But I, spoke, I was speaking to him about his approach to uh, soccer training and everything like that. And he's telling me I'm training pretty much every single day. So the first thing I said to him was, obviously, you need one rest day in the week. Don't yeah. train every day. And then he was telling me about how he's training a couple of times a day. He's doing skills training. He's doing, and this is all within quarantine. So he's to have that motivation to train at that age is unreal. I'm not telling him to do this. He's telling me that he's doing it. Um, and then he told, he, he was telling me that, yeah, so I train. He was telling me his schedule for the day. And then he says, when it gets to about three or 4 PM, about three to four or four to five, uh, I have to do my homework because obviously kids are still getting school, yeah. schooling via online, right? I have to do my homework. And then he says, but I'm not going to lie. I get so tired. I usually nap through and then don't do my homework. And I just stopped. And then he was continuing to tell me, I just stopped him there. I yeah. said, if you want that elite mentality, you need to have it in everything that you do in life. Yeah. It is not something that stops with your athleticism. Yeah. Because if you don't do well in school, you can say goodbye to that D1 scholarship because you can't even pass school. It's a way of life, yeah. 100%. And it's like, if you want that whole man mentality that everyone speaks about, you've got to have it in everything that you do in life. 100%. So I just told him, I was like, look, man, the first thing you need to get right is if you've said to yourself that you're going to go ahead and do school work from three to four, do that. Because... Think about the message that you're sending as a coach. If, you, if you're a coach now, yeah. 
if there's any coaches that are listening to this, think about the message that you send if you tell your kid to do homework. You're telling them that it's not just about you being the best athlete out there. It's about you being the best, period. And that's the mentality that you should want to have. Not, oh, I want to be the best soccer player ever. Because it's like, well, if, if Michael Jordan was just the best basketball player ever, or LeBron James was just, is just the best basketball player ever, but they weren't great humans, man, we'd be very lost. Because in, in my kind of era, it's obviously it's LeBron James, so I'm going to be talking about him. Like, that guy's a family man. He's got kids that understand life and get it. He's got a wife that obviously understands life and gets it and supports him, and she's doing her own thing too. He's, LeBron James is killing it. And yes, he's a great athlete, but he's also been able to inspire, do a lot for other people. Why is that? Because he's not just a great athlete. He's more than an athlete. He's a great human being. And that's one thing that I, I think I'm missing with a lot of athletes is we sit and we think about this, oh, I want to be an elite athlete. But you've got to think about what that means. Like, if you're trying to make it to the top, you're going to eventually have a platform through which you get to motivate and inspire people. If you don't use that platform for the better, what, what are you doing? Like, you're just earning money. You're earning a lot of money. Well done. Yeah. But if you're, if you're the kind of athlete that think, and obviously not all athletes are great at doing their homework, but the main thing is that one thing that we should be encouraging our athletes to do is if you're a youth athlete, you need to make sure that your whole approach to life is taken care of. It's not just about you being an athlete because you as an athlete, I don't need to tell you your chances of making it to elite, especially if you're in Canada and you're a soccer player. I don't need to tell you your chances of making it to the elite level of soccer. They're very slim. Simple as that. So if you don't take care of your approach to life, so you don't take care of when I've, it's not about doing homework. It's about when I've said I'm going to do homework, that's when I'm going to do it. Yeah. So, so that when you get through in life, when you say you're going to complete a task for someone, you complete it. You don't just flake on that task. You don't just, you, do you know what I mean? Because I yeah, think there's yeah. a lot of people, there's a lot of people like that um, kind of out, out in the world right now. Um, that care a lot about themselves, but don't really care about other people. And I think quarantine was a perfect example of it. How many people did you find in England and in Canada it happened? In Canada, it was a little bit less. It happened a tiny bit less, but it was still happening. First week or before the first week of quarantine, what were the couple of things that were taken out of the, out of the stores, just hoarded by people? Yeah. Toilet paper. Vitamins. A couple of like, yeah, vitamins. Yeah. And then like packets of crisps or whatever it was. Right. Well, that in itself tells you what you need to know about the way that people are growing up. And I'm not saying this is a negative thing. I'm saying this is a, as people, that, as anyone that has any sort of influence over any population, what you should be trying to teach your people is thinking about other people. And that comes into doing the tasks by yourself every single day. Because in quarantine, everyone was thinking about themselves. So now the old lady at the supermarket can't get toilet paper because she was too slow because she's old because the person behind her or in front of her took all of the toilet roll because they weren't thinking about the person behind me and that's what why i was telling this kid like look man if you're saying that you're going to do something do it it can't just be when you're training that you follow through with everything it has to be everything in life if you told your mom you were going to give her a hug go give her a hug 
yeah don't sting out on that hug do you know what i mean yeah, yeah. and i think that's something that 100 percent consistency is key and that's something that we can give to our athletes that's why i love being a strength conditioning coach is that if you can give that to your athletes whether or not they make it as a success as a successful athlete is then even irrelevant to them like i would have loved to be an elite athlete but i'm not so i have to be able to do what i can be an elite coach 100 <laughs> percent. yeah exactly um, but yeah, no, I think that's, um, sorry, man, I think we went a little bit off topic, but uh, that was no, was good. I think it developed quite nicely because you talked about first, like, you know, you start off with, uh, you know, when you're young, you do multiple sports. And I was just going to add to that and say, well, it'd be interesting if the next step of that research was to show which pairings of sports were the most effective. For example, like obviously, if you're a basketball player, you know, maybe playing handball, uh, because of your hands wire coordination and it's also very athletic yeah. and maybe playing, I don't know, uh, water polo or something else. Is that more effective than doing basketball, soccer and baseball, you know? Um, 100% actually, that'd be an awesome study to be able to yeah. do. I, I wonder whether or not, I think the difficulty with that one would be the scope of that kind of study. Yeah. Because you would have to do that for years and years yeah. and years yeah. and with thousands of athletes to figure out yeah. It definitely be the greatest study ever though right because yeah, if you yeah. finish it then you can literally tell athletes well here if you want to play basketball to an elite level here are the sports that you pair it with and then you'll be able to build that whole entire athlete that is also very durable that'd be awesome but yeah. I just think the scope's a little bit too too large for that yeah it's um, a combination of what you said about your wife's research combined with this book I'm reading at the moment called The World's Fittest Book it's by Ross Edgley and he talks oh, yeah. a lot about mixing up the different activities. You know, he's done so many crazy things. He's done the Everest rope climb. He's, he's done triathlons with a tree on his back. He swam across Britain. It's, yeah. it's crazy. It's and awesome. he's, he's not really built in a way that you'd say, oh, he's perfect for this or that. He kind of changes and fluctuates. And he's just a different He's, he's perfect for all of the tasks that he does, though. He's just, he's a, he's a beast, though. Yeah. He's just unreal. Um, no, I think that's, yeah, it, it, it'd, be, it'd be an interesting one to figure out uh, where which sports would work with which sports. I think the main thing though is just trying to make sure that you understand that and also from a mentality perspective it helps you understand that there are different kind of pathways that you can take too uh, whereas if you specialize in one sport from a super young age you don't necessarily understand the different pathways that you can take. So for example it, it works in life too right it's um if if you if everyone in your surrounding does one particular thing you're going to grow up thinking that's the only thing that you're allowed to do so it's the same thing with sport if you're growing up with soccer and that's the or football and that's the only thing that you do then 100 you're not going to realize that there are a bunch of different sports out there that you can try because maybe soccer wasn't meant for you definitely yeah. wasn't meant for me <laughs> i was never very good at it so um and then yeah we talk about kind of the the mixed approach and the combined approach i think that for for people who are just general everyday health and fitness kind of people, which is pretty much should be everyone, um, mm -hmm. combining that approach of training is super important for just long term and like longevity, not only again mentally, but also physically. So for example, if you are someone who works a desk job, but you like to strength train, that doesn't necessarily mean that you should only do strength training. Because strength training combined with your desk job, if you don't do other things outside of that, yeah. may end up being detrimental to you and you may end up having more injuries as a result of adding strength training 
into your regime. But what you should be doing, and there's a guy called Dr. Andy Galpin. If you don't know about him 100%, just go and like, he's got um, a podcast called The Body of Knowledge. Okay. Uh, my, this is something that you'd be super interested in. Body of okay. Knowledge, they've got three seasons. He's just, Dr. Andy Galpin is, is absolutely my guy. I've only shared a few emails with him in terms of contact, but I hope and I pray that I get to meet him and do some sort of work with that guy because he's unreal. If I get him um, on the show, I'll have you as a plus one guest. 100%. I'd absolutely love that. But this guy is unreal. He's got great podcasts and stuff like that. And one of the things that he talks about in terms of the approach to training, um, he's a researcher at California State Fullerton. Okay. Um, and he's got his own biochemistry lab and he's wow. an exercise scientist and yeah, he's just unreal. Um, but one of the things that he talks about in terms of the approach to health and fitness is that effectively you're doing it right. If you cover three types of training. So one, you've got a little bit of strength training that's going to help you build durability in life, but also help you to lift heavy things in life. It's always good to be able to lift stuff because that's a great indicator of mortality rate, your ability to, you know, have great grip strength or leg press strength are two actual indicators of mortality rate and quite strong indicators too. Wow. Um, it makes sense though, right? If you can't carry your shopping from A to B, you're not going to be able to go shopping for your groceries. If you can't go shopping for your groceries, you're not going to live for very long. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's <makes> sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's strength training. Then there's hit training. So doing something that raises your heart rate, uh, like, effectively spikes your heart rate brings it back down that kind of interval stuff um, and then there's just a little bit of endurance and long distance training which is obviously great for tidal volume stroke volume of your heart and and everything like that it's just great for overall um kind of aerobic capacity too so if you're doing three of those things and you only have three workouts in the week you do one strength training one hit workout one endurance workout you will be taking care of your approach in terms of health and fitness 100 percent you absolutely will. So that's super important for just your general everyday population. And, and anyone that isn't an athlete that is training should take care of those three things. As much as I hate to say, because I hate endurance running, yeah. but there is the odd occasion where I will go with my wife and go for a, for a run because she likes running. So yeah. take, take care of my health too, man. Even yeah. though I like that power and, and stuff like that, and I consider myself to train like an athlete while I'm in the gym, I still need to make sure that I'm taking care of those kind of everyday things that are going to help me live longer. What would your advice be for people in, in this lockdown at the moment? How can they elevate their physical conditioning, their physical approach to becoming a healthier person? Do those three things. That's probably the easiest gym, way to put it. strength and all those things, you may not have 100%. access 100%. That's true. So um, you can 100% you can do a little bit of endurance work. You can go on a run. Yeah, so that's easy. pretty easy. You just strap on a pair of running shoes, get outside. Um, 100%. You can do a hit workout. This is talking if you're a general everyday population kind of person. Sure, sure, sure. You can 100% do the high intensity interval training. You have one, one or two days in the week where you have 20 minutes to spare and that's all that you've got to spare. Um, or that's all that you want to spare for the day. That's a great day to do your high intensity interval training and make sure that you're getting that in. And um, that takes care of raising heart rate a little bit, spiking it also. High intensity interval training is one of the best ways to burn calories, which people will be consuming a lot more of now that they're stuck at home. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then 
you can do a strength workout. Now, strength doesn't necessarily mean you have to lift a barbell or a dumbbell. There are plenty of different ways to do strength training. So the first way to do strength training is modifying movements. Let's say, for example, you're doing a push-up. I can do a push-up fast, and that's going to take care of my explosive work. So I can do a plyometric push-up. I can do a push-up with normal tempo and do it for a lot of reps. That's going to take care of like hypertrophy. Um, and I can do a, a, a push-up with a very slow eccentric. So that's a slow on the way down towards the floor. Now, that'll take care of a number of things. One is time under tension, which is going to help me build muscle. But also, two, uh, it'll be great for tendon uh, and connective tissue health in my shoulders. So that's a great way that I can uh, do literally a push-up. I've varied it three okay. ways, and I've made it harder for myself. I don't need a bench press to do that. Now, if I want to add a little bit more weight to that push-up, I can get, if I'm with someone, I can get them to push down on my, on my back as I'm coming up. That's going to add a little bit of resistance similar to that. Or what you can do is, um, and this works pretty much, pretty much any muscle in the body, is you grab a towel that's long enough, usually a bath towel. You're going to fold it up a couple of times. You can do something called an overcoming isometric. So for a push-up, what that looks like is you throw the towel around your back. You have the ends of the towel in your hand you put them on the floor you get yourself in a push-up position oh, yeah. and then you can and then all that you do is you push against that towel now because the towel's up on your back it's going to be an immovable object you're, you're not going to get you're not going to get very far if the towel is obviously attached to your hands and then around your back yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's an overcoming is isometric what that does is it takes care of increasing the amount of force that i produce through my chest similar to a heavy bench press Right, I could do that isometric hold for five seconds, pushing as hard as I possibly can. Uh, I can do that, and I can also take that towel and then go ahead and throw it around my feet and do the same thing. Keep my back nice and straight. Pull up on the towel while it's hooked underneath my feet, pushing down uh, on the towel with my feet. I've taken care of like a squat type movement or a deadlift type movement. Again, I'll do like a five-second hold, five sets of a five-second hold. If you want to maintain your strength that you gained while going to the gym, that's a great way to do it. Or if you've never done any strength training, that's a great way to introduce yourself to it because it's quite a risk-free way to do strength training. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, you, another principle of strength training is just making sure that you're taking care of what's called volume loads. So what that means is... If I am someone who goes to the gym and I usually lift 100 kilos for five reps or whatever it is, yeah. um, I need to take the amount of weight that I lifted, times it by the number of reps and sets that I did. So I did it for three sets of five, so that's 15, 100 times 15. Uh, that's my goal in terms of the amount of kilos that i want to lift in that session yeah and now all i do is i take it with let's say i've got a couple of 20 kilo dumbbells all right so the total is 40 kilos then i'm gonna take that total volume load divide it by 40 kilos then i've got the number of reps that i need to do with my 20 pound dumbbells to reach the same level of hypertrophy as doing 100 kilos for three sets of five does that make sense yeah, that's why you do your homeworks. You know the maths. Yeah, one hundred percent, man. Yeah. That's it. You just gotta, you just gotta, yeah, you yeah. just gotta find a different way to do it. Um, and yeah, taking sets to failure or near failure—that would be a great way to do it. And then also, strength training doesn't necessarily have to be heavy. 
strength training can be plyometric training is a form of strength training. So if yeah. I'm doing a couple of tuck jumps and stuff like that, if I'm not doing it as part of the hit circuit, then that takes care of what's called force expression. So expressing force, you're expressing it with a high velocity, you're still taking care of strength training, 100%. There's okay. no way that you're going to get weaker doing a couple of max attempt jumps. You're not going to get weaker doing that. That's Combine true. that with the uh, isometrics with the towel, you'd be sweet. Like, that's all we have uh, here, and we're, we're, we're taking care of business. Yeah. So, <laughs> so your content's yeah, really good. You're sharing about, you know, pressing against the wall and doing that sprint form and the leg movements and the, the switch. And I, I, yeah. I thought that was really good. You know, I'm trying to find some space in, the, in, in my other room and see if I can maybe move the desk and make a bit more space so I don't kick anything down. But I think For sure, there's bro. a few rearrangements in your house and you can probably do most of the things you said, like with a towel and, you know, going in the garden or going to a park. 100%. Yeah. If you want to work your back and you've got a dining table, just clear some space underneath the dining table. Yeah. Grab the dining table and you can do some dining table rows. Yeah. Inverted yeah. rows. You can 100%. You can do a lot while at home. I think one of the biggest things that's come out of this though is everyone that either deems themselves a fitness guru or is in fact a fitness guru has been posting lots of, here's a hit workout that you can try. And while that's great, we have a, an incredible bank of HIIT workouts. Not many people are showing you how you can maintain strength or how you can maintain the things that you had before quarantine or how you can even get started with fitness. Uh, and the biggest thing with, with training is that there has to be a progression in order for you to improve. Problem with everyone posting their own HIIT workouts is that none of them follow a progressive overload principle. So as a result, if you're an athlete following that kind of stuff or just a general population, even as a general population, member of the general pop, you need to have some sort of progression in your training. You absolutely need to. Because yeah. otherwise you're not creating a constant stimulus for your body to adapt. If it's the same stimulus every single time, your body's going to get used to it. You're not going to grow. You're not going to get better. You're just going to stay the same. Yeah. So that's why that's even it. with your HIIT workouts, you need to be making sure that you're progressing absolutely need progression is key for all of this stuff how do you think people are going to react when this is all over and they hoard the gyms again oh man there's going to be another spike in coronavirus yeah <laughs> <laughs> but do you think there'll not, be a lot of injuries as well like on a serious note do you think they're all just going to go for the heavy weights and try and make back that mass they lost um, or well, I don't know, maybe I it's psychological the 100 there'll be that panic in terms of like yeah. oh i gotta get back to where i was um the biggest thing that you got to realize is that you're not exactly where you were. And the first couple of weeks you need to do. What's great about lifting is that if you have a history of lifting, it doesn't take very long to get back to your baseline levels that you were at pre-quarantine. But there will be an adjustment period. There absolutely will be. And if you are not the type of person to admit that there's going to be an adjustment period, you are going to be the type of person to get injured. Um, just simply because of the fact that, and I'll give you a personal example of mine. Um, so in my, when I moved to Toronto two years ago, uh, everything was so hectic with visas, with trying to find a place to live, with the sheer amount of rent that, uh, you know, rental prices in Toronto are crazy. Everything was crazy. So one of the things that fell towards the back was my own training. Um, and I'm happy to admit this as a coach that even we have our ups and downs in terms of training. Yeah. One of the things that ended up happening was for about a 
period of six-ish months, uh, I didn't train properly at all. I think I trained once every two or three weeks. I had one training session. Uh, and compared to playing American football at university uh, and being like a university athlete where I was training almost every single day, if not every single day, that was just a massive drop-off in terms of uh, the amount of calories that I was tr- going to burn and also like the stimulus that I was creating for my body. So as a result, I gained a lot of weight. Um, and then when I finally got into a training routine again and a, and a regime of, of actual making sure that I'm training, uh, I started training three or four times a week again, which was a pretty normal thing for me previously, not now. Instead of tapering my approach to, okay, I definitely have lost a lot of strength. I've definitely lost the ability to produce, um, you know, that elastic strength of doing plyometrics simply because of the fact that I'm like 20 pounds heavier. So when your body is heavier, your body cannot or isn't adapted. If you haven't been adapting it to throughout that process of gaining weight is not adapted to the, the type of force that you're going to put through it. Because now every time that you jump, you're jumping with a 20-pound weight vest, basically. You're not, you're not jumping to what your original body weight was. So one thing that I did was I was squatting heavy. I was jumping. I was doing plyometrics, stuff like that. I had knee pain for the first time in my life. I had back pain for the first time in my life. I had ankle stuff. I had, short, I had all sorts of problems. Because also my job at the time required me to sit down a little more than what I was used to. So not only is my activity level sedentary, I'm also not training or I haven't been training for six months. And then I expected that I would just get back to the gym. I'd be there three or four times a week. And I just screwed myself up. I absolutely messed my body up. Um, And I knew that that would happen as a coach. But as a person who's just a normal person, I didn't want to believe that that would happen. So I learned the lesson by getting injured. Yeah, the hard way. 100%. 100%. So again, for people going back to the gym, you can learn the easy way or the hard way. The easy way is I'm going to take a month, two months out of my entire life to get back to where I was. Or I can take a week to get back to where I was and then feel the consequences six months later. It's up to you. Yeah. And when right, you feel definitely those take consequences, advice there. <laughs> 100%. I, I would take my advice too. Because yeah. Previously, I have not. Um, and now 100% like uh, I absolutely will. I, I've been doing all the strength training. So again, yeah. all that stuff that I spoke about will help you maintain that level of force production. So really, it might not even take two months. It might, gen- might genuinely, if you've been doing, taking the smart approach and not just doing hit workouts all the time, if you've been doing a little bit of everything or doing something similar to the types of training that you do, because the strength, speed, strength, the force velocity spectrum is a wide spectrum of training. And any kind of training on there will help you maintain what you had pre-quarantine. So if you don't have weight, doing high-velocity work like jumps and stuff like that with the right amount of rest periods, with the right progressions, everything like that will 100% help you, whatever, whatever kind of athlete you are. Now, if you haven't been doing that, don't expect yourself to get back to the same level very quickly. Expect yourself to be a little bit slow to start off with. Expect the gym to feel weird. Expect the soreness that you haven't, experience for five years of training because you've been used to training expect all of that but if you've been training smart during quarantine 
you can expect to progress just a little bit quicker, 100%. And that's the biggest thing is make sure that you've been, and if you don't know what training smart looks like for you, 100% consult a professional. There's plenty of them out there. Yeah. A lot of them are having these digital platforms now where they can actually do these Yeah, Exactly. And um, that's the thing about the fitness industry as well. I think it's awesome because it's getting a lot of people active that otherwise wouldn't be active. But one of the biggest things that I would ask the fitness industry to do is give people things that are going to be beneficial for them, not just things that look cool. Because everyone is trying to figure out a different way to create a barbell with a broomstick and buckets so that everyone can squat again. And it's like, maybe what you needed to do was not squat for a little bit. Maybe that's what quarantine is for you, is that if you've spent the past seven, eight months doing heavy barbell back squats, maybe now is the time to not do that. Maybe now's the time to do some lower weight, higher um, velocity movements. Maybe that's what this whole process needs to be for you. Um, So that's why I think, Obviously, the fitness industry educating that about like it's okay to be a little bit different in your training, and actually, you might find that your body feels better um, for having done that is is a super important thing that I think needs to needs to happen within the fitness industry because people don't know what they're doing because it's a profession, it's a science. Training is a science, so if you don't know what you're doing, of course, you're just gonna do what the person who looks fit on Instagram does, right? Yeah, it's dangerous. Oh my God, it's so dangerous. But yeah. again, it's, it's on us as professionals to educate that. Like it's, it's very dangerous. Yeah, you're not the first fitness professional that has a, you know, has a name on social media, for example, that, that has said this, right? Because I think obviously there's a trap here where someone might copy someone else and yep. that someone may not translate or they may not convey the same message. Um, they might have their own version of saying it. And then doing that it, it's risky you know it's risky same thing goes for business advice financial advice definitely um one of the um trainers that posted something about this recently he's an awesome dude mike savage he posted and he said look i do my own taxes every year but that doesn't qualify me to give you tax advice exactly i do my taxes because i know my situation yeah I don't do your taxes because I don't know your situation or how your dynamic situation is going to change. Because everyone's situation is dynamic. It's not static. It's not the same. It's not the same as you. It never will be. So if you're trying to, if you're, if, because I've even seen people that like just lift heavy weights in the gym now giving fitness advice. And I'm like, don't, you're not qualified to do that. Don't share your workout like, you want people to follow it. It's okay to share your workout, but don't share your workout like you want people to follow it. And although I may be coming off quite hard in this, I think I have You're a very strong, people. yeah, 100%. I have a very strong opinion about this because at the end of the day, you have to protect people doing if you're trying to do your job. One of the things with protecting people is that, like, look, if you want advice, either hire or talk to a professional. You, you don't get advice about your car from someone who just fixes their own car. You get advice about your car from a mechanic. You don't get advice about doing your taxes from someone who just does their own taxes. You get advice about your taxes from a chartered professional accountant. That's who you get your advice from. You don't get legal advice from someone who fought their own case. You get legal advice from someone who is a lawyer. Yeah. And it's the same thing. But the thing with fitness is that I think it's a, 
it's an industry where there's so many people that can just call themselves a trainer. Like literally, you can go on your Instagram bio and call yourself a trainer. If you look the part, people will believe that you are the part. And that's the dangerous thing about fitness is that it's such an unregulated profession. Even though there are regulated bodies that are trying to keep it under wraps, it's such an unregulated profession. Everyone's got their own program for $1 out there. Everyone's got their own subscription thing. Everyone's got something. Yeah. The thing with, and this is where I put the ownership on the people buying this kind of stuff, not the people selling it. Because people are going to sell stuff all the time. Yeah. I'd put the ownership on, on you as the buyer that if you need to figure out whether this guy or girl is actually qualified to give you this information or not. That's the first thing you need to figure out. You need to literally have, you know, some junk gumption about it and just ask them. Just ask them. Are you qualified to give me this advice? They'll give you a straight answer. They will give you, a, there's no way they're going to lie to your face like that. Just they'll give you a straight answer. Ask them. Are you qualified to give me this advice? And if they get annoyed about it, then you know you didn't want advice from them in the first place. If they get hurt by the fact that you're even asking. Because if anybody asks me, are you qualified to give this advice? I will 100% happily show them my certification. Because that's what you need to do. And that's just the way that it is. Um, and yeah. yeah, I think that's one of the things that in this time as well, hire or seek advice from a professional. Don't seek advice from someone that looks good. Yeah. That's not a qualification. How you look is not a qualification. You can't look like a lawyer. You have to be a lawyer. You can't look like a doctor. There's no such thing. But you can apparently look like a fitness professional. Uh, and that's one of the biggest messages that I give to people is that like, if you want to get back to your higher level of function once you're out of quarantine, seek the advice of a professional now. That will 100%. That's powerful. Yeah, man. That's my rant over. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's a good rant. I think it's powerful. I think it's people need to listen to that and they need to take it on board, right? It's not a laughing matter. But um, I just want to focus now on the last kind of thing I wanted to talk about, which is sure. how do you see the future of fitness, strength, conditioning, developing? I see the future of kind of strength and conditioning, fitness in general, as sort of a preventative side of medicine. Okay. And because obviously medicine currently is, is the curative side of medicine. You have a problem, you go to the hospital or the GP's office or whatever, it gets taken care of. Yeah. In um, the form of medicine, treatment, whatever, but it's a form of treatment. I see strength and conditioning and fitness in general as a pre-treatment for that. Because there are a lot of doctors that don't know what fitness professionals know, qualified fitness professionals, in terms of the human body in the way that it works because doctors are 100% dealt or, or trained to deal with problems associated with the human body, not problems that can arise from things that you do to your body, i.e. training. They're not dealt. They're not um, meant for that. That's not their role because the human body is so complicated that it needs multiple different roles in terms of people doing jobs for, for the whole needs of the human body to be fulfilled. So it's very complicated. Yeah. I see the future of fitness and strength and conditioning as exactly that. I see that as um, you've got, obviously, 
let's say you break an arm or a leg, unavoidable, 100%. Um, you go to the doctor, they put a cast on it, it gets cured. You go to the physio, it gets taken care of, and then you're back. But what a lot of people don't do after that is they then don't go to a coach or a fitness professional or a strength and conditioning coach, something like that, to gain the muscle back. Or even while the leg is in a cast, they don't go to a strength and conditioning coach to minimize the risk of that muscle that's being, or the leg that's being in a cast, atrophying from obviously no muscular activation whatsoever. But I, as a strength and conditioning coach, a doctor wouldn't be able to tell you, but I, as a strength and conditioning coach, can tell you straight up, if you break your leg, the best thing that you can do for it while it's in a cast is train the other leg. While that might seem kind of, you know, well, why would I want the other leg to get bigger? It's not that. What happens is, and this is research, this is evidence-backed, um, basically when you train a single limb, so unilateral strength training, if, I, if my left leg is injured and I train my right leg, I do a squat, a single leg squat on my right leg. yeah. yeah, yeah. My left leg gets the same, gets the exact same amount of electrical stimulation. So what that means is the neurons firing, the muscles firing, fire at the same rate as the one working. Now, because there's not a mechanical stress on my left leg, it's not going to get as big as my right leg. But if I can stimulate muscles firing on my left leg, then 100% I can minimize atrophy, which means that when I get back, to after, after physio not having a cast and everything like that, I find that my left leg actually has a fair bit of strength in it. But a doctor wouldn't be able to tell you that, necessarily. I don't yeah. know if all doctors can't tell you that. Um, <laughs> but I have doctors in my family that wouldn't be able to tell you that. Okay. Um, and that's where I see kind of the future of strength and conditioning outside of the athlete world is that preventative medicine and that understanding and the knowledge of how things work how things are attached because a lot of the time if you're on crutches for example you went to the doctor to get those crutches you went to physio and they helped you out a little bit um gain that range of motion back but there's a lot of muscular imbalances that you've now developed as a result of being on crutches one of the biggest ones when you're on crutches a lot of the time because of the way that crutches are built and that's fine you're very hunched up in terms of like your shoulders are kind of hunched up and, and your, your traps are, your upper traps are engaged quite a bit. Well, that can lead to a muscular imbalance in your shoulders. That came from you breaking your foot and having to be on crutches. You, have, you now have an imbalance in your left shoulder. And that's something that, again, the strength and conditioning coach would be able to tell you because they're a movement specialist. They're not, uh, you've broken it, here's how you treat it. There are, here's what happened as a result of that treatment. So here's how I can prevent you from ever having an injury or potentially here's how I can reduce the risk of you ever having an injury again, because I know the kinds of things that have been messed up as a result of that treatment that you had, which is, which was essential treatment. You needed that. Yeah. But now I can help you out with the other parts of your body too. So that's where I see kind of the future of it. Um, and it's going that way now in terms of athlete injury reduction and stuff like that with strength and conditioning coaches. That's a big thing for elite athletes is we don't necessarily want to make them more elite. We just want to make them more durable. Like the yeah. best, because an athlete's body is its moneymaker. So you can only make money if you're healthy. So they pay you to take care of their moneymaker. Yeah, if you can have people performing at a higher level than the previous generations, but extend over a 20-year career as opposed to a 10 or 15 
then, you know, you're, you're in business. So hundred percent, they're making money and you're making money too. And on yeah. top of that, they're having a better influence because of the fact that they have a longer career. So everyone wins in that situation. That's why injury reduction or injury prevention is something that, uh, or preventative medicine is something that strength and conditioning coaches, uh, um, therapists, everyone is going to be more involved in mm. uh, in the near future. That's kind of where it's going anyway. And the way I see it, perhaps it's similar to what you were saying, but I see now a cluster of different niches which are developing quickly and they're becoming more independent and stable, right, here to stay. And I can see this developing into a blend, like them coming together in the future. So rather than having like these small, unique niches, they, they'll blend right. together. Maybe they'll make that part of uh, preventative medicine that you, talk, you talked about. 100%, yeah. Um, well, again, my guy, Andy Galpin, yeah. he was saying that there will be a strength and conditioning coach in hospitals within the next 10 years. And wow. I don't necessarily disagree with him. I don't either. I but do I not disagree with him. Would not have called that, yeah. No, 100%. But if that happens, yeah. you know who called it first. It wasn't me. It was Andy Galpin. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, 100%. And, and the reason he said that was just simply because of everything that I spoke about prior to. Like, if, if you are someone who's had an injury, there are certain things that are going to be going on with your body that only a health and fitness professional can take care of post-surgery. Or... If you come into the hospital and you have certain things that are wrong with your body, there might even be something that you can do before you get, you know, any sort of treatment from a doctor. There might be things that you can 100% that a strength and conditioning coach can help. Because you see a lot of patients going to the GP's office with shoulder pain. And the only thing the GP can help with is here's some paracetamol. I'll refer you to a specialist, but they can't fix your movement. Whereas a strength and conditioning coach, if you have shoulder impingement, can 100% fix your movement. If they know enough about the shoulder joint, which most obviously, again, qualified strength and conditioning coaches, um, they have to know that kind of stuff. So, yeah, yeah. 100%. If, I, if you come, my, my, like my mum has a little bit of shoulder impingement. If she came to me and I was able to help her, I, I, I would 100% be able to help her out more than the GP. And that's not to say that I'm better than the GP by any means at all. It's just no. the speciality is different. And yeah. I think the future of strength and conditioning is hopefully when, as it becomes a more and more respected career and one that's seen in the light as opposed to seen in the dark, um, it will become that. It will become the thing of what actually people get, getting the onus on themselves and feeling like, well, okay, I have this problem with my body. Is that a GP thing or is that a strength and conditioning coach thing? Or, or a fitness professional thing yeah. because they're two totally different things and, mm. and if you have a muscular imbalance going to the GP is not going to help you if you're Absolutely. having a muscular if you're having IT band pain if you're having patella tendinopathy something like that going to a strength and conditioning coach might not help you you go to a therapist to an athletic therapist about that kind of stuff like that's yeah. why these jobs and roles exist but not enough people know the purpose of these jobs and the purpose of these roles which is why uh, you know, everyone goes to the GP's office yeah. as the first protocol. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I was talking to Perry Nicholson. I think he was our third guest, if I look back. Yeah, was, yeah third guest. And he, I don't know if you've heard of him, but he's super popular on Instagram and social media. He does seminars in different universities. He's a chiropractor. And he was, his, his famous, uh, well, his account is called Stop Chasing Pain. 
when you when you take that phrase and you think okay well you're going after where it's hurting but maybe another part of your body that's not hurting is triggering that pain oh 100 percent. and i think that's another approach which we don't really see in modern medicine typically right as you said when things arise to the surface that's when the doctor and the medical team are there to kind of treat it um, yep. in a more more of an emergency manner right and I'm not sure if that's right or wrong. I think that's just the way it is. No, no, that, that gotten used to it. But then, if you can bring more actors into the play, and and you know, you can kind of give the GP a easier job and say, man, take it easy. We've got more specialists around now, and you you can kind of focus your net. You know, you don't have to cast your net so wide. You can actually come a bit narrower and focus 100%. on these specific things. I think that will help everyone. Hundred percent. I think you saw right in terms of also that if we're talking about England as as a, as the example, man, that that 100% puts such a strain on the NHS, doesn't it? Because I've seen people come to A&E. Like I had a problem. I had, I tore some ligaments on the right side of my ankle ages ago. So some people came to A&E with a headache, with a headache. And that's the thing, because initially you waste the time of the nurse at the front who's taking the details of patients that are coming in through A&E. So even if you don't get seen by someone because you've got a headache, you're still taking up time and valuable resources of the NHS. And that's the thing. That's why people need to take ownership first things first of their own problems and figure out whether that is a problem to go to the GP about, to go to the doctor about, to go to A&E about. I need to consult a therapist. I need to consult a physical therapist. I need to consult a fitness coach or whatever it is like you need to figure out who you track but that's what i see the future of health and fitness is hopefully as we get more qualified professionals more research evidence-based and backed professionals as opposed to the people that look good that tell you on instagram this is what i did to look good because yeah. that's the downfall of fitness right now yeah it's that people who look good what and don't get me wrong, they worked hard for it, but it doesn't work for everyone. And you can get people to develop really bad habits if they think the only way to get to look like that is to do exactly what you did. You know, that mentality, which is still very commonplace. It's a super toxic and poisonous mentality. So that's, and that's why people don't take ownership of their own health and fitness because they don't want to realize it's a process. Yeah. There's a juice, there's a juice cleanse to help me lose weight. Like, no, there isn't. There is not. There's no yeah. science for that juice cleanse helping you lose weight. Oh, I should be on an alkaline diet versus an acidic diet. What even is that? Like, there are genuinely people that think you can be on an alkaline or acidic diet. And if you don't know about this, this is a thing of people saying that acidity breeds things that are poisonous within your body. So if you, I think, I think it's acidity. Yeah, it's acidity. Yeah. So what you need to do is take yourself to a more alkaline pH, like your pH of your body. The, the thing is, again, any science-backed professional will tell you that your pH is very tightly regulated in your body. I think a change of 0.5 or 0.2 in pH in your body would shut off most functions in your body. Wow. So if you, if you say that my pH has to be more alkaline and I'll be healthier. That's, it's crock, mate. It doesn't, there's no yeah, sense yeah. behind it at all. But again, I never knew the, um, the reasoning behind it. I just knew it was kind of nonsense because I thought 
my body does what it does. It's very efficient. You know, I trust my body. But, like, but, exactly. but then what you just said now, if you did try to actually change, that's pretty scary. Like yeah. all functions. <laughs> Do you know what the funny thing is, is that that research that talks about acidity yeah. and stuff like that, I'm pretty sure I was reading something on the other day, the research paper that was brought out that speaks about acidity versus alkalinity was brought out in like 1800s or something like that. You don't think science has changed since the 1800s? Of course it has. That took a serious marketing <laughs> to bring that Do you know out. what I mean? <laughs> yeah. but that's the thing, right? Somebody probably brought that out from the woodworks and was like, I can make a lot of money using this. And this is where it comes down to. Impact over income. If you're, not, if you're worried about making money, you're going to end up selling stuff that has a momentary hype. And then you're just going to move from hype to hype to hype to hype. And yes, you might build a very successful business model on that because you go with what the trends are. The problem with going what the trends are as opposed to what the evidence is and you know what, what experienced coaches say, because there's evidence and then there's just the art of coaching. There's coaches that have been doing it forever that understand the science, but then also have experimented themselves if you go away from that and go from what you, a, per, a case study of one, thinks, then yeah, 100%. Like you're going to be a hype, hype trainer and that's cool, but yeah. there's no substance behind what you're doing to help people. And that's, that's a difficult one. Um, quickly on the point of the Cairo that you spoke about, it's interesting that you say that 100%. It's the same thing that I say to any athletes as well. If you have, for example, some knee pain, don't, do, don't get a foam roller around the muscles of your knee and think that's going to help it. You need to figure out potentially why you have that knee pain. One of the biggest things that people have knee pain while squatting, one of the reasons for it is they have limited ankle mobility when they're squatting and they're trying to squat deep. So what happens if you have limited dorsiflexion, which is where your toe comes towards your shin, it's that kind of flexion. If that is limited within your body, when you try to get deep down into a squat, you create, instead of creating torque around your ankle, you create more torque around your knee. So as a result, that knee takes a brunt of the force going through your whole body. When it takes more force than what it's, used, what it's supposed to be taking, of course, you're going to feel knee pain. And it's as simple as that. Like I've seen people increase their ankle mobility, get down in the bottom of a squat and feel no knee pain because they've increased their ankle mobility. Do you know what I mean? Or yeah. I've seen people have hip pain that have just activated the outside of their glutes prior to a squat and now they don't have knee pain. Wow. It's the stuff above and below that you need to be checking as opposed to at the specific joint itself. Yeah. Um, and that's something that I think a lot of people miss. Again, all of it comes down to, you know, here's a great foam rolling routine that I use. Okay, where's the evidence for that? Yeah, like, yeah. Um, and yeah, no, that's the thing, man. I, I, think, I think it's very important to make sure that, uh, you know, as someone that has to take charge, because it's your body at the end of the day. If you have to take charge of your own body, you need to make sure that you are looking out for who is helping you look after your body. That's super important. If you're getting, and it's no shame to have someone help you, but if someone's helping you, figure out whether they're actually helping you. Reassess like you would anything else. Yeah, yeah. Do your homework. Absolutely. 100%. So towards the end of these episodes, I normally ask a few questions. So I'm just going to ask you, what scares you? Damn, that's a hard one. 
Um, okay, the biggest thing from a spiritual standpoint, what scares me, so I'm a Muslim, uh, and I would say that I'm a pretty practicing one. I believe that God has given everyone a kind of a platform. Now, whether you believe in God or whether you think it's the universe or whatever, yeah. it's up to you how you believe it. Uh, but everyone should at least believe that they have a purpose to fulfill in this life based on the gifts that you're given as a human. Everyone has different gifts. Some people might be able to chat to people and motivate people. Some people might not be able to chat, but they might be the smartest dude in the world and is able to give lots of information by other. Some people might just be the kindest souls you've ever met, right? It doesn't matter who you are or what what gift you've been given, you have a purpose to fulfill. My thing, my biggest fear is not fulfilling that purpose and not using my gifts to the maximum advantage of other people. So what that means, I'm not taking advantage of people. I want people to take advantage of my gifts, not in a you know, negative way, but definitely in a positive way. Like if I have something that I can help you with, please ask me to help you. Because that's me fulfilling my purpose is being able to help people with the gifts that I've been given. And my biggest fear is not doing that and then going to God eventually and him asking me, you know, I gave you this, this and this. What did you do with it? And I can and my answer is, well, nothing. That's my biggest fear. I don't yeah, want to say that. I want to be able to I want to be able to at the end of, you know, when this is all over, just make sure that whatever gifts I had. I was able to give that to other people and help other people benefit from it, which is why I became a coach and not a chemical engineer. My gifts did not lie in sitting in an office, staring at a computer. My gifts 100% lie in helping other people achieve their fitness, athletic, whatever goals. Yeah. And all the things that come with being a strength and conditioning coach alongside that too. That's good. I, I, hope like that's, that. I hope that answered your question. No, that's good. I like <laughs> that, yeah. If I was to ask Rachel, your wife, what's right. Usama's super strength, what would she say? Well, she's here right now. I can ask her. Yeah. Rach, what's my super strength? Ooh. Oh, she, that was her answer. Her answer. <laughs> Ooh, she doesn't know. Um, oh, that's a tough one, man. Oh, all right. I like that one. Thank you, Rich. Um, she's great. She's my biggest fan. Um, <laughs> Rich said my greatest strength or best tool is bringing uh, a lot of energy into a room. So being that source of energy as opposed to the one that takes uh, energy away. And that's fine. Like, honestly, you need both types of people. I just don't like to be the one that uses energy. I like to be the one that gives it. So 100%. When I'm, and I, I would agree softly to that, um, that when I'm in a room, I, I do try my best to make sure that everyone in the room is happier, having a happier once they've left it because I was there. Does yeah, that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. That's what I try to do anyway. No, that's a good way to put it as well. And I can definitely feel that from the, you know, from the episode. It's, it's like time's flying by. I'm just engaged. Appreciate and, it, bro. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Good. Me too. And I just want to ask you now, so if you had a choice between going forward at any point in time or back at any point in time in history or any right. point in the future, like it doesn't have to be within your lifetime, uh -huh. what would that be and why? Whew. Forward or backward in time? Damn. All right. 
this is not going to be a sport related one at all. Um, I think, honestly, this is one of those things where you have, you 100% have the answer. Every single day of your life, you're like, oh, I'd love to be a fly on the wall in this moment in, in history. And then when someone asks you the question, you just don't know what the answer is. Um, can I hear yours? Sure. Yeah. So, by the way, with this question, like I've answered it on previous episodes and I've always given a different answer because it's a matter okay. of perspective in the moment in yes. time. 100%. So, one that I'm currently feeling is I would go back 100,000 years because... right. I was listening to Sean Baker's interview the other day and right. he was talking about his carnival diet. Now mm-hmm. I'm not going on that diet, but I found it really interesting. And one of the things he talked about is human evolution that we've lost perspective of how we've evolved. Everyone thinks that we're just getting bigger, better, stronger, but mm-hmm. apparently a hundred thousand years ago, the average height of a, of a human male or human yeah. in general, no, it was a human male was six foot two. And like, you know, that means that that's an average life. Now the average is 5'9 or 5'10. Like, imagine yeah, six yeah. foot two being the average. So there's people at seven foot walking around casually, like being the tall kid in the class. So you would have had people at seven foot. That's and I would have liked to go back and see what these humans look like, how they behave, what their movements were like. So just based on this conversation, that's immediately in my head. That's what I'm thinking about. So that's what I would like to see. That's awesome. That is actually an awesome answer. I will not repeat that. Um, but... <laughs> But genuinely, no, that, that's cool. And, and, and I, I, know that, I know that that is true about the, in terms of the height. And I think part of the evolution of, of height getting lower and lower is because of the fact that we no longer need to reach for things, being straight up. Yeah. Because the only thing you need to reach for as a human now is whatever is in the grocery store. Yeah. Right? So that doesn't require height. Uh, and I think that's part of the reason that like, height has diminished over time. But then you still get freaks of nature like seven foot two, seven foot three basketball players and stuff. But one of the things I'd probably say back in time, I don't necessarily have any real urge to want to go forward in time. And I don't think that would really ever be my answer. Um, I'd want to go back in time towards like the early 1900s, um, close to World War One. And one of the things that I would love to see genuinely is what it would be like on the battlefield in the trenches wow. uh, of World War I. And I'd love to mix that with the experience of what it was like on that Christmas day where both sides threw up the white flags and then they just got together. Wow. Because one of my biggest, I, I love history. I absolutely yeah. love it. That's kind of one of the other things outside. I, I, I consider myself to just be, purely about strength and conditioning, but when something history related comes up, I absolutely love it. One of the things that I'd love to see is obviously just the day-to-day fighting and stuff like that, you know, how it happened, how people died as well. Like, because now, obviously, with the way that wars and everything like that work, it's pretty simple how someone dies. You just get a drone strike and then it kills them. Whereas back then, obviously, that wasn't necessarily a thing, right? So there was a one in terms of the fighting aspect of it, um, obviously there was a huge stalemate within those war in the trenches stuff because people would just be stuck in their own trenches. So I'd love to see how that worked. Um, and then the other thing would be, I'd absolutely love to see the interactions that people on that Christmas day that they had with the opposite side. So like British and, Ger- and German soldiers um, that literally the day before or a few hours before were shooting at each other 
I'm now having a conversation and I'd, I'd, I'd love to, I don't mean this to be sound weird, but I'd love to see or at least feel what they felt like having to turn around from those same people, walk back, get back in the trench and then start shooting at the same guy again. Like yeah. this guy that you've now built a relation, like how do you do that? It's twisted. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. It is 100%. It's so twisted, isn't it? So I'd love to see kind of why, like how they did it, whether some people even saw someone that they'd met on Christmas day and then hesitated. Yeah. And maybe, yeah. maybe they died as a result of that hesitation. Like, yeah. man, it'd be crazy. It'd be unreal to see that. Wow. I've always had a fascination with that kind of stuff. I think it's yeah. obviously it's so cool that people were that brave and now people can't even be brave enough to stay in their own house. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah, uh, that's, yeah no, uh, that's, no, that's why, that's what I'd love to see. 100%. Sure. I'd like to do some word associations now. So I'm going to say five cool, words. Cool. Hit me up. Yeah. Okay. And uh, cool. So strength. Power. Speed. Velocity. Home. England. Football. American. Science. Weirdly, the first thing that came to my head was Neil deGrasse Tyson. Uh, <laughs> I don't, don't know why. Okay. I have no, I have no idea why. That's fair enough. That's why we do this. Of <laughs> uh, course, cool. yeah, that's five, wasn't it? Um, awesome. Cool, Appreciate man. it, bro. No, yeah, it was a really um, good chat, man. No, definitely. I thank you. Thank you for having me on, man. Uh, and yeah, hopefully I will speak to you again soon, but I do appreciate you. Uh, yeah, man. Reach out to me. It's been fun for sure. Yeah. No, man. I, I can see you have like good energy. What you were saying, Rachel was right about your super strength. I think the messages you put out there for anyone that doesn't follow Sama, it's, is it five, five, two? Is that No. So it's five, four performance. Five, four uh, performance. It's all, it's on Instagram all spelled out. So the word five, the word four, and then performance. Sure. We'll put uh, a link me. in the description when we put it on Spotify. Sweet. Yeah. Appreciate it, man. But yeah, anybody that feels like they maybe need some advice on that kind of stuff or any anything that we talked about, feel free to reach out to me. I'd be happy to help you out. Yeah. You saw him as super responsive, super friendly. Like what we're seeing here, what we're hearing is 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 exactly how he is. And um yeah, I strongly recommend it. And you know, I think Pelite, uh, Pierre Elite performance is also someone that I follow and I highly recommend him as well because you know sure. the, the tips out there, the the amount of potential you can raised from just watching that and doing some of the stuff and getting in touch with sure. them i think that's super powerful and yeah man, man so we'll be in touch man thanks for coming on sweet no yeah. not a problem at all thank you very much, very much.